You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Annapolis, Maryland. I'm Pastor Joey, and I hope what you're about to hear blesses you, increases your love and knowledge of Jesus, and answers any questions that you might have about him. So our passage for today is coming from John chapter 5, starting in verse 18. It reads this. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Ah, Fantastic. That was great. Wonderful. Uh, Well, we are going to be continuing this morning in our series in the Gospel of John in chapter 5, as Pastor Adam just read for us. And, and all of what we're going to be looking at this morning is a part of the, the same scene as we studied last week with the man who was healed by Jesus on the Sabbath. And, and our passage is Jesus' answer to the confrontation of the Jewish leaders. He's answering the question that is on their minds. It's the question of, who is Jesus? And that really is truly the most important question That's really the question of all of humanity. Who is Jesus? That's the question that we will all be judged by at the end of the age. Who is Jesus? Jesus' answer is that he is God. That he is the eternal son of God. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is a wonderful morning for you to be here because you get to learn about who this Jesus is that we worship and who has saved us. So let's, let's re-familiarize ourselves with what's going on here. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath by telling him to get up and walk. So the man is healed, he gets up, he carries his bed, and he walks away. And the religious leaders rebuke him and question him, and he tells them that the man who healed him told him to take his mat and to walk. And they demand to know who healed him. And once they found out, We read that they persecute Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath and because he told a man to carry his bed on the Sabbath. Jesus' response in verse 17 is, My father is working until now and I am working. In other words, he's saying, Because my father works on the Sabbath, 
I work on the Sabbath because the Father and I are one. That's a serious claim. Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus makes himself equal with God, and the Jewish leaders are keenly aware of this. Look at their response in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Notice the shift that takes place there. We're told that they are persecuting Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath and told the man to to break their unbiblical tradition by carrying his bed. They sought to be a, a hindrance to him. They sought to sully his name. But then they shifted to murderous intent when Jesus dared to call God his father. To them, this is blasphemy. And blasphemy is serious. It's a very serious thing. And in Isaiah 40, verse 25, God says, To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? No one is equal with God. The Jewish people know this. They they understand this. And so when they hear Jesus say this, they understand that he is making this claim that is audacious, that seems on its face to be blasphemous. Yet they didn't understand exactly what Jesus meant. See, Jesus is not equal to God as though he is some other God. Jesus is God because he is the Son of the Father. Here Jesus is is bringing the revelation of the the triune God. This is a a wonderfully distinct Christian doctrine, and it's a, a challenging doctrine to comprehend. It's difficult for us to understand it, and it's one that's been misunderstood and mistaught throughout history. And sometimes when we try to comprehend God, the reality is that we have to go beyond human reason. We have to believe and receive things by faith. There are some difficult truths that God has revealed to us in the Scripture. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, The Apostle Peter even says that there are hard things to understand in the Bible. There are are things in the Scripture that exceed our ability to master. But we shouldn't be discouraged by that. Rather, we should, as he says later in 2 Peter 3, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we consider our Lord's words about how he is equal with God, we should see three ways that this is true this morning. First, Jesus is equal with God in what he does. He's equal with God in what he does, and we'll see this in verses 19 and 20. Jesus shares the same work and activity as the Father. Second, Jesus is equal with God in the honor that he receives. And we'll see this in verse 23. The Father and the Son share honor and glory. And third, Jesus is equal with God in power and authority. We'll see this in verses 21, 22 and then 24 through 29. Jesus has the same power over life and death as the Father. And Jesus has the same authority to execute judgment as the Father. So wonderful things for us to consider this morning. It's it's a moment for us as Peter commands to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we're thankful for this day to be together. We rejoice in another Lord's day. 
when we can call off from our minds the, the cares of the world and we can come to you without distraction. We thank you for this holy day for our souls where we can, we can wait upon you and we can be refreshed. We can be renewed. We can be fed. We can be sustained. We thank you that we can draw near to you and that you draw near to us. Father, help us this morning to know Christ, to expand our love for him. Would you increase our devotion to him? Would you give us more understanding of him? Would you help us to treasure him as the pearl of great price? Would you cause the gospel to go forth in this church and reverberate around the walls that we would glory in Christ? Father, we ask that you would be among other churches this morning as well. We pray for South Shore Church. We pray for Saints Church, that the gospel would be faithfully proclaimed among them, that the saints there would be sustained and encouraged and propelled to greater love and faithfulness. We pray for the non-Christians who are among us and among them. Father, that you would draw them unto yourself, that they would hear the gospel, that they would be cut to the heart, that they would be brought to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Would you give testimony to the word preached this morning? Would you glorify it in all our hearts? May it give life to the non-Christian. May it, may it awaken the careless, reclaim the wandering, establish the weak, comfort the downtrodden, and make ready a people for their Lord. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so first, let's look at how Jesus is equal with God and what he does. That'll be verses 19 through 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Well, Jesus begins with this often used phrase of truly, truly. That Jesus is making clear that what, is about to, to what he's about to say is absolute truth. And here is the truth. That Jesus is equal with God because he does the same work as the Father. He does nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And it isn't just that Jesus doesn't act independently from the Father. It's that he cannot act independently from the Father. So when the Father acts, Jesus acts. To see Jesus act is to see the Father act. The Son doesn't act on his own will, which means that, that he has not broken the Sabbath that they have accused him of. Why? Because the Father does not break the Sabbath. Jesus could not sin. Why? Because the Father cannot sin. And, and the irony here is that to accuse the Son of blasphemy is to accuse the Father of blasphemy. This is the error of these Jewish leaders. But what is challenging here to understand is that Jesus says that he has learned everything from the Father. The, the Son of God has learned everything from the Father. This is difficult to, to really grasp, and there is a, a mystery as to how this works, how to understand the economy of the triune God. You can really spend your whole life pondering that mystery, and you should spend your whole life pondering that mystery. 
But I think our own human reality, by God's grace, does reflect certain truths. Our own human reality reflects this. Sons learn from their fathers. And as I've gotten older, I have seen this to be true in my own life. The older I get, the more I see my father in me. His mannerisms, his way of thinking, his way of speaking. There he is, Dad. Stand up, take a bow. <laughs> this is the product of, of you. Uh, two weeks ago, I was at my parents' house. Um, I don't remember what I was doing. I think I was dropping something off that I had borrowed from them. And uh, they were beginning the exciting project of bathroom renovation. It's good. Yes. And uh, getting started is often the hardest part, especially when it comes to selecting the tile and the fixtures. And so that was a part of the conversation. Which tiles go with which fixtures? And that conversation went on for a while, probably longer than it needed to. Um, my dad was very confident in his choice. He knew which tile he wanted with which fixtures. My mom, a little less confident in that. And after the conversation continued to go on, I just got instinctively put my arm around my mom and I say, it's all going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. And that's probably something that many of you have heard me say. I say that to people in this church. It's all going to be fine. And, and my mom immediately says, that's what your dad always says. <laughs> and of course, the obvious and only response to that is, like father, like son. See, sons learn from their fathers. They see what their father does, and they do likewise. And so it is similar in the way that the son learns from the father. Jesus is not out there doing whatever he wills. He does what the Father does. Why is this the case? And, and how is it that the Son can do whatever the Father does? Well, we read that in verse 20. It's because the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing. It says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him that you, so that you may marvel. So there is nothing that the Father knows that the Son doesn't know. Now, now, you might say, well, didn't Jesus say that he, he didn't know the hour of his return, but that only the Father knows? Yes, but Jesus there is speaking in terms of his humanity, where he restricted the use of some of his divine attributes. Here, Jesus speaks in terms of his divine nature. The, the eternal Father shows the eternal Son what he does because he loves him. And this love is a, a perfect love. It is a love that only the Son could be worthy to enjoy. And the Father's love is continuous. He has, does, and always will love the Son. So he continuously reveals what he does to the Son. And in the Father's purposes of redemption, the Son demonstrates his perfect love through obedience. Perfect love. Perfect reciprocity. The son's obedience reveals the father. John said back in chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side. He, that's Jesus, he has made him known. Later in John 14, verse 9, Jesus will say, anyone who has seen me 
has seen the Father. And all this depends not upon God's love for us, but on the love that exists between the Father and the Son. That is what is at the center of God's redemptive purposes. That doesn't mean that it's not also because of the love that God has for us, for his elect. But it is chiefly about Christ. That is why the Father gives the church to Christ. It is a love gift. Because love gives. And perfect love gives a perfect gift. The Father gives to the Son a redeemed bride to serve as an eternal display of his love for him. And because the Father loves the Son, he shows him what he is doing and the Son does likewise. This is why he healed the man on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is referring to. Also, when he says greater works than these, he will show him. He's going to do greater works than just healing a man on the Sabbath. But what are these greater works? Well, it's giving life to the dead. It's resurrecting all people. And it is executing divine judgment. And we'll look at those in a moment. And these greater works that Jesus will do are so that people would marvel at Jesus. So Jesus is equal with God in the works that he does, and this naturally leads to the honor that he should receive. That's what we'll want to notice next. So we'll read through verse 23, but we're really just going to make our comments on 23, and we'll make our way back to verses 21 and 22 afterwards. So look at verse 23. Well, 21 through 23. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The purpose of the works of giving life to the dead and of executing judgment is that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Same works, same honor is due. But you see the stumbling block that this is to the Jewish audience. Jesus says, the same honor that you rightly give to the Father must also be given to me. The very, the very purpose of the works that they have seen and will one day see is for the honor of the Son. But notice the second half of the verse. It says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. It's a staggering statement. You cannot worship the Father if you do not worship the Son. The Father demands that you honor the Son just as you would honor him. What we make of Jesus, in other words, is what we make of God. 1 John 2.23 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You cannot have the Father if you do not have the Son. And we do not know the Father apart from the Son. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who chooses to reveal the Father to us. So you must know the Son if you would know God Friends, do you understand how this destroys and dismantles all other religions? You want to know the test of what a true religion is? 
Do they honor Jesus for who he is? Is he the divine son of God? Is he the incarnate God? Is he the sinless, crucified, and risen Savior? Is he the Lord of the universe? Is he the judge of the living and the dead? If the answer is not yes to these questions, then you have false religion. This refutes Unitarianism. This refutes Judaism. It refutes Mormonism. It refutes Jehovah's Witnesses. It refutes Islam. God is triune. Jesus is God. God is not a created spirit brother of Satan. Jesus is is not a created brother of Michael, the archangel. Jesus is not merely a prophet. If you want to honor God, you must honor Jesus on his terms and as he is. And remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in chapter 4. He said that the Father is seeking true worshipers and that those who would worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Friends, his word is truth. We worship him according to how he has revealed himself in his word. We must honor Christ as God. And we know that God does not give his glory to another. This means that Jesus is God. The glorification of the Son is what glorifies the Father. Consider what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we honor Christ, we honor the Father. God the Father wants you to marvel at Jesus. God the Father wants you to enjoy the most wonderful thing, and that is Jesus. By the power of Jesus' word, a man paralyzed 38 years was healed. By the power of Jesus' word, the whole universe is held together. Jesus, the eternal God, took on human flesh to bear our sin, to die, to endure God's wrath meant for us. Jesus was not held in the grave, but by his power rose from the death, the dead, the grave, and conquered sin and death. Jesus is the risen Lord who is standing at the right hand of the Father even now. And he will raise the dead and give life to whom he wills. And he will judge all those who have done evil. Marvel at Jesus. Honor Jesus. He alone is worthy. And God would have you satisfied in him. He is God eternal, equal with the Father in honor. This brings us to the third way that Jesus is equal with God, that's in power and authority. Look back at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. 
For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him truly, truly. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. What we see is that Jesus has the power to give life and he has the authority to execute divine judgment. And in both, he shows himself to be equal with God. He says in verse 21 that just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so he gives life to whom he will. Once again, this is an offensive thing for the Jewish people to hear because only God can give life. In Deuteronomy 32 39, God says to the people of Israel, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. And in 1 Samuel 2, 6, we read, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. It is a part of the nature of God that he is the giver and taker of life. That power belongs to him, and Jesus says that he also possesses this power. Jesus has also been given the authority to execute divine judgment, and we see that in verse 22. The Jewish people have always known that God is the judge of all the earth. Their own history bears that truth out, as God has judged them time and time again, as God has judged the surrounding nations time and time again. And Jesus here tells them that he is the judge. And this is not done independently from the Father. If you look ahead in your Bible to verse 30, Jesus says, As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Although the Father has the authority of judgment, he has determined that it would not be his task to judge. Instead, he has given that distinction, that honor to the Son. And we see these converge in verse 24, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So when you possess eternal life, you do not come into judgment. And Paul says it like this in Colossians 1. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. We should note that in these verses and in the verses following, there are two aspects of eternal life being referenced here. There's a, a spiritual life and there is a resurrection life, which we'll look at in a moment. So what exactly is eternal life? Well, when we hear eternal life, we might primarily think of it in terms of its duration that it is unending, everlasting life. And that's true, but it is more than simply unending life. E eternal life speaks also to the quality of life. Eternal life is a, a life that is transformed and given by the power of God. It is a, a life that is entirely fixated and centered upon God. It is a life that overcomes sin through the power of God. It is a life that will one day stand bodily in the presence of God and enjoy him forever. Later, in John 17, verse 3, Jesus will describe eternal life like this. 
It says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is the sincere knowledge of the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And how do we come to have eternal life? We see it in that verse, verse 24. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Do you see that pattern? Hear, believe, have. You must hear Jesus' words. You must hear the gospel message. You must believe that the Father truly sent him. That means that you need to believe the Father's plan and you must believe that God is triune. And you must believe, uh, no, I already said that. And when you do, you have eternal life. You pass from death to life. And this is referring to a, a present spiritual reaction, uh, reality. Because eternal life has very present experience. And the one who hears Christ's message and believes the Father who sent him has eternal life. It does not say will have, but has. This person does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So eternal life is a, a present and permanent reality for those who hear and believe. So if you are here and you're not a Christian, my call, Jesus' call, is that you would hear and believe. Would you hear the words of Jesus? Would you believe that the Father sent him? There is judgment coming for sinners. The wrath of God presently abides on you and will one day be poured out in judgment. But the God who judges has also died so that you might have eternal life. Will you believe? Let's continue on. Verse 25. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Verse 25, we have another repetition of truly, truly. Jesus is saying, keep paying attention. This is important. What does he say? The hour of the resurrection is now here and yet is also coming. There's an, an already and not yet reality to this resurrection era that Christ has inaugurated. And this explains the, the spiritual life and the resurrection life aspects of eternal life. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So the hour of the resurrection is here because Jesus is here. 
And Jesus will undeniably prove this in chapter 11 when he calls out to the dead body of Lazarus. And Lazarus comes out and obeys. It's because Jesus has power over life. And Jesus raises all the dead with the power of his voice. Now, this is probably what, what Paul writes about in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The command that Christ gives is, Be raised. And his voice is, is so powerful that even the dead hear it and obey. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. God spoke the cosmos into existence. Again, he sustains the universe by the word of his power. Jesus has all authority, and when he speaks, he must be listened to. He must be obeyed. And the dead here, in verse 25, includes those who are spiritually dead and physically dead. All people are naturally in a state of spiritual death. When teaching his disciples about the cost of discipleship, Jesus says this, says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And Jesus teaches that those who are not born again are dead. And this is the reality since Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All men are born into a state of spiritual death. As Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, men are by nature children of wrath, dead in our trespasses and sins. So the great problem is that we are dead and can do nothing about it. We can't do anything to make ourselves alive. Who? Who can make life out of death? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's why Jesus came. He came to give life. And we have seen this throughout John so far, and we will continue to see it. Uh, consider what John writes at the end of the book. In John 20, verses 30 through 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the essence of Jesus' ministry. He gives life to those who are dead. And that life comes when, in verse 25, those who are dead hear the voice of the Son of God. And by believing, as we read in verse 24, we receive eternal life. But in verse 26, we see that Jesus' power to, to raise the dead comes from himself because he is God. What John writes here gets at the dynamics of the Trinity and the eternal reality that the Father eternally begets the Son. The Son is the Son because the Father is the Father who begets the Son. And because the Father has life in himself, so the Son has life in himself. This is a callback to John chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. If the Son was 
is with the Father from the beginning, and there was never a time when the Father was not granting the Son to have life in himself. The Father has always been doing this, and there was never a time when this was not the case because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why the grave couldn't hold him. He's the God of life. And, and I want to, to just stop right here and give a quick apologetic point. Uh, this verse dismantles modalism, um, which says that there is only one God, but he shows up in three different modes or forms. Puts on different masks, you might, speak, you might say. Uh, sometimes God is the Father, sometimes he is the Son, sometimes he is the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is an old heresy. Um, popular teacher right now, T.D. Jakes, teaches this heresy uh, that's also held to by oneness Pentecostals. But this verse refutes this heresy. If God is sometimes the Father and sometimes the Son, then what Jesus says here is a lie. Because the Father could not give something to someone who doesn't presently exist. If there's only one person, then there is no one to give anything to. Uh, so, so keep this verse in mind. Uh, you might come across someone who believes in modalism or someone who's a oneness Pentecostal. I think it is a helpful apologetic verse. Anyway, back to your regularly scheduled programming. We come to verse 27. We return to Jesus' authority of judgment. It says, and, and he, that's the Father, has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And what we should note here is what, what it is that qualifies Jesus to be this divine judge. We might think that it's, well, it's because he's God, but that's not the reason that Jesus says. He says what qualifies him is the fact that he's the Son of Man. Jesus being the Son of Man qualifies him to be judge. In Acts 17, Paul says to the people, on Mars Hill, starting in verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God deems it fitting that human beings be judged by one who knows what it's like to be a human being. And not just human, but one who suffered to deliver the rest of us from judgment. But it's also a little more than this. This is a title that's taken from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. You might recall this from when we studied this not too long ago. It says, I, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, so Jesus is this son of man. He's identifying himself as this son of man. He is, he is the end of the age, the apocalyptic son of man who receives from the ancient of days that which belongs to God himself. Eternal dominion and glory. See, it is the, the God-man who is perfectly suited to execute judgment. Because he is God, he is perfect in justice, he's perfect in knowledge. And because he is 
man. He has perfect knowledge of all human experience, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he can rightly stand as the judge among his own. Because Jesus is the God-man, the execution of his judgment is perfectly just and cannot be critiqued. In verse 28, he tells the Jewish leaders not to marvel at this. He says, "For, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus says not to be surprised that he has power to give life and the authority to judge because he's going to raise everyone from the dead one day. Not only is he powerful enough to grant spiritual life now, but his word is powerful enough to raise the dead from their graves. That's wild. Who can do, who can do that? It's a real staggering display of his power. You know, it's, it's one thing to bring spiritual life to people, but how can you bring something that is dead to life physically? And think about that. I mean, like, even the bodies that have for millennia been a part of the dirt, every particle of that is going to get reconstituted by the power of his voice, by the power of his word. It's amazing. That's serious power. But it isn't some neat parlor trick. You know, why does Jesus do this? What's the point? What's the purpose? Why is he going to bring everyone back from the dead? For judgment and reward. For judgment and reward. He says that in verse 29. You have those who are doing good being resurrected and those who are doing evil being resurrected. Why does he talk about works? Works aren't what saves us, so why bring this up? It's because this is the fruit of our spiritual life. In other words, you you can see what is true internally by what we do externally. Jesus taught this back in chapter 3. He says, uh, starting in verse 19, he says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Whatever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Our eternal reward will be according to our deeds, according to the things that we have done. And if you are are justified by faith, your faith will produce good works. If you do not have faith, then your works will be works of self-righteousness in open rebellion against the grace of God. See, we will all be raised bodily. All of our works will be tried. And here is the most important work that any of us could do. Believe in Christ. Believe in Christ. See, his judgment will be right. And in your resurrected body, 
you will either enjoy God forever or you will endure his wrath forever. We might even say that our bodies will be perfectly suited for these purposes. And so it's very important, non-Christian, that you find yourself on that day when the Lord returns and with the cry of command, he commands all bodies to be raised, that your resurrection is the resurrection of life. And you may have that, but you must hear the gospel. You must believe the message and the messenger and the one who sent him. All of this comes from the power and authority of Jesus. So hear his word and believe the Father who sent him. Jesus is equal with God. He's equal in what he does. He's equal in the honor that he receives. He's equal in power and authority, and therefore we must receive Jesus as God. Let's quickly consider a few points of application for us. First, we must know and treasure the word of God. It is crucial for us to know that spiritual life does not happen apart from the word of God. Uh, That's why we evangelize. As Romans 10 makes perfectly clear, faith cannot come apart from hearing the word of Christ. Friends, if, if Christ has given you eternal life by his word, would you not make it your life's ambition to know more of his words? should make it your ambition to know the depth, the, the beauty of his revelation. Your spiritual life cannot be maintained without it. You will starve. You will wither away. So make it your life mission to study, to know, to memorize, to have your whole way of thinking shaped by the word of God. Let it sustain you Uh, like newborn babies. Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And because spiritual life comes only by the word of God, this also means that no one is a Christian simply because you say so or because you grew up going to church or because your family are Christians or because you believe in God or because you say prayers The question is, what have you done with the word of Christ? Do you hear and believe? How can you know if you have heard and believed? Well, Jesus makes that clear later in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 and 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And and, uh, we will come to him and make our home with him. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So how do you know? How do you know that this has been a reality, that you have been given this eternal life? You obey Jesus. You obey Jesus out of gratitude, out of love, even when it's challenging. Because he is the Lord of life. So have you by faith taken the word of God as the true words of God and made it your ambition to live by them? 
Have you heard the word of Christ? Are you born again? Uh, Consider Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. You must receive the word of Christ by faith. If you have not done that, everything that I have said this morning is of no benefit to you. It's of no benefit unless you are united to Christ by faith. Second, Because Jesus has given you eternal life, you can truly enjoy eternal life now. In the midst of disease, death, stress, anxiety, fear, struggle, you currently possess eternal life. That means that you can genuinely enjoy the things of the life to come now. You can enjoy God now. You can be more like Jesus now. Friends, you can genuinely, genuinely, you can overcome your sin because of Christ's power in you. It's easy for us to just kind of throw our hands up. I just struggle with this. Christ has set you free from bondage. We can do this. By faith, will you believe the words of our Lord? You're not a slave to that sin. You've been set free. You're not the old man. You're the new man. You're a new creation in Christ. We don't have to chain ourselves to our sin. You've been set free. I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect, we're all going to sin. 1 John 1.9 says that you know, when we sin, we confess our sin and we receive forgiveness. If, if we say that we don't have sin, we make God a liar. So all of us have sin. Every single one of us is going to struggle. But when you sin, you confess it and you receive the grace and mercy of Christ in a new way, in a fresh way. Don't you dare think that your sin is too much to bring to God. God delights to forgive your sins. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Don't come to the, to the Lord in shame, but come to the Lord as one who is forgiven, who by faith receives the promises that he has given you. Christ is delighted that you should give him your sin for his righteousness. That's not just a one-time reality on the cross. That's an everyday reality. So let's do this. Let's be people who do that. In the book Communion with God, uh, the great Puritan John Owen uh, said it like this. I like the way he put it. He said, "If, If all the world should drink free grace, mercy, and pardon from Christ, the well of salvation, if they should draw strength from one single promise, they would not be able to lower the level of the water of grace by one hair's breadth. 
There is enough grace, mercy, and pardon in one of God's promises for the sins of millions of worlds that they existed because the promise is supplied from an infinite, bottomless reservoir. What is one finite guilt before this infinite and eternal reservoir of grace? Show me the sinner who can spread out his sins to an infinite dimension, and I will show him the infinite and eternal reservoir of grace and mercy. God would have you enjoy communion with him. Be delighted in him. Ponder him every day. Receive the love of the Father. Marvel at the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, confidently await the resurrection of life that awaits you. Because you have been raised to spiritual life, you will be raised to resurrection life. The life that you experience now is a a down payment and a guarantee that resurrection life is coming. So there's a day coming when sin will be no more. You're not going to struggle in your love for God. You will be totally set free from any stain of sin. And that day comes when our Lord returns and we are raised bodily. Know that your resurrection comes because of what Jesus says in John 6.40. He says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We have confidence because he who promised is faithful. We're told in the letter of 1 John that when we focus on this reality, we purify ourselves as he is pure. What strength this gives us to take hold of our eternal life. That confidence, that assurance that that is coming motivates us to live in faithfulness now. So let's keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the eternal Son of God, the judge of the living and the dead, the one who gives life, the one who is worthy of all honor. Therefore, as the Apostle Paul says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the grace and mercy that's been given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful for the fact that though we were your enemies, Christ died for us. That we would be redeemed, that we would be able to enjoy unhindered communion and fellowship with you. Father, we thank you that you are God who does all these things for your glory, for you are worthy of it. Father, we're thankful for the treasure of your word. Would you help us to be a people who know your word, who are obsessed with your word, who long to know you? Would you incline our hearts to your testimony? Would you give us a a deep hunger that can only be satisfied as we meet you in your word? Help us to walk in holiness and to live in fellowship with Christ. Help us to walk in the light as he is in the light and to not stumble in the darkness. 
Let us experience the freedom that comes from Christ and the joy of our salvation. May that be new to us this morning, Father. Perhaps some of us today struggle with that, feeling the joy of our salvation. Would you in kindness restore that to us? That we would leave here boasting in the grace and mercy of our great God. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. For more information about Citizens Church, please go to citizensannapolis.com.